We remain standing for the reading of God's Word on which the sermon is based, and we're going to read from John, the Gospel of John, chapter 4. We're going to look at um, verse 1 to 18. So I'll read that for you. Um, please uh, pay attention to the words that you can follow along on the screen. This is God's Word. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away and into the city to buy food. A Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink for, from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water for, so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. That ends the reading of God's word. Uh, please be seated. In the world of advertising in the 1990s, a soda company came up with a slogan that is quite catchy, memorable, and quite impactful at the time. Because it taps into the popular culture, and the slogan that I was referring to read, Obey Your Thirst. If you've been around uh, long enough, you may have known uh, that slogan. The person who came up with the idea called Lee Garfinkel wrote this, we wanted to create a campaign that spoke to the independent-minded, irreverent nature of the soda brand consumers. Obey your thirst became the rallying cry for a generation that wasn't afraid to ask questions, to question the status quo, and to go their own way. See, I think the same spirit is still very much alive today. We just call it something else. We call it, you do you. You do you. We do what we feel is right, what we enjoy the most, what suits our personality, just you do you. 
I don't know if you noticed, but Barbie in the newly released movie experienced an existential crisis, and hence she left the Barbie land to obey her thirst. And so was Moana, and so was Elsa before her. And that captures the problem of every modern person. We are born thirsty. It was a novelist by the name of Colson Whitehead. He, he wrote in the New York Times that you do you perfectly captures the narcissistic culture that we live in. It gives us a free pass for bad behavior. And taken into extreme, he wrote, it provides justification for every global bad actor. The invasion of Ukraine, said Whitehead, is Putin being Putin. Now he obeyed his thirst, and his thirst is called political dominance. But it's not just him, we are born thirsty. So we tend to blindly obey our thirst. We seek to quench our thirst from the cup the world provides. We drown ourselves in the transient pleasures of life, drinking ourselves drunk on shifting shadows. Maybe it's sex, maybe it's romance, money, fame, career, marital happiness, material wealth, political cause, you name it. And when we obey that thirst, we become even more thirsty. That's the problem that the Samaritan woman had. And her encounter with Jesus transformed her life. And my prayer is, today's word from God will also transform your lives. So let's look at the text that we just read under three headings. The first one, surprise by grace. Because that's what she experienced. She was surprised, pleasantly surprised by what she encountered. If you notice in uh, verse 7, 8, and 9, in verse 9 um, specifically, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Now, when Jesus had a chat with this woman asking for a drink, the woman was completely shocked. In fact, even the disciples, we are told in verse 27 down below, were also surprised. The woman said, how is it that you, a Jew, a rabbi, a man, ask from a drink from me, a woman, and a Samaritan? Now, we need to understand the background why she was surprised. There was all kinds of ceilings or barriers or walls, if you like, between the Jews and the Samaritans, men and women, the upright class of society and the rest of the society. So the first one is the racial barriers between Jews and Samaritans. And the Apostle John in verse 9 give a little you know, commentary for Jews have no dealing with the Samaritans. So, you know, to get to Judea in the uh, uh, north, to Galilee in the south, the short, short, shortest uh, route was the road through Samaria. But you see, a lot of Jews often avoided that uh, uh, route because they did not like 
the Samaritans. They hated the Samaritans, and that's why they would take a much longer road just to uh, avoid uh, contact with the Samaritans. Now, the history went back to 722 BC when the Assyrians captured uh, the northern kingdom uh, of Israelites um, and they exiled almost all of the Jewish population, leaving behind the lowest classes of society. And then they intermarried with these non-Jewish people who slowly came to the region. The Samaritans emerged as an ethnic and religious group because of that intermarriage between the Assyrians and the Israelites. That's why they were called half-breeds. And so when it says on verse 4 that Jesus had to pass through Samaria, it was not because of shorter distance though, but because he had a defined appointment. Despite the racial barriers, you know, Jesus knew the will of his father and he wanted to see, to have a chat to this woman who needed him, who had this thirst for the gospel. But the second barrier was gender barrier. A Jewish tradition at the time dictated that in such a highly patriarchal society, a rabbi or even men in general should not talk to a woman in public. You're not supposed to talk to even your wife in public. And that's actually recorded in the book of Mishnah. You know, the book that tells them you don't speak to women in public if you're a man, let alone if you are a rabbi. So there's racial barrier, there's a gender barrier, and the third one is the moral and social barrier. First uh, six tells us that the woman came by herself to draw water at the sixth hour. Now that's odd for two reasons. First, the sixth hour, according to the Jewish uh, system, is actually in the middle of the day because they started the day with uh, 6 a.m. Uh, in the morning. So the sixth hour is actually when the sun is uh, the highest and hottest. It's the hottest part of the day and they had no sunscreen, no UV protective uh, clothing at the time, right? So most women at the time actually came to draw water in the morning when it was uh, much cooler. So there was something odd with this Samaritan woman drawing water during the hottest part of the day. Secondly, she came alone. Because most women at the time came in groups to draw water when they had their you know, fellowship. Uh, rather than having uh, brunch or morning tea, they actually drew water at the time. Completely different than modern women. But they always came in company, but this, this woman, she came alone. Probably, probably because she was trying to avoid other women, uh, probably because she is a moral and social outcast given the kind of life that she had. She was shunned by other women, perhaps in the community. We did not know, but something is odd. So there was this moral and social barrier, but you see, Jesus broke all those barriers the racial barrier, the gender barrier, the moral barrier. 
She was a Samaritan. She was a woman. She was a woman of questionable reputation. Now, this was particularly fascinating because at the time, they thought that only a religious person, an accomplished person like Nicodemus, which we saw last month, would be approved and blessed by God. They have worked so hard to gain the favors of God, but people at the bottom of this racial, moral, and social chain like the Samaritan woman will never earn God's approval and blessings. But look at how controversial Jesus was. He broke all the protocols. Jesus talked to these religious leaders like Nicodemus, but he also talked to those who were despised by religious leaders like this Samaritan woman. And Jesus did not talk to her in a patronizing way, in a condescending way, but she talked to her lovingly, respectfully. So let's look at verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, it should be on the slide, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep, where do you get that living water? This living water is not given only to certain individuals on the basis of merit, on pedigree, class, status, or race, or gender. You see, Christianity is a surprise to many because it's too radical, too shocking, completely different than other things that claim to uh, give the same offering. You know, religion, morality, culture, there's no surprise with what they offer. Because religion says, those who pray hard, those who obey wholeheartedly, those who sacrifice their lives, they will find God. We know that. That's what religious people say. That, 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 that's what religious gurus always tell us. Morality say, those who live an upright life, those who fight for justice, those who care for the environment, they will be rewarded. And our modern culture say those who perform highly, those who belong to a certain class, status, or race, those who are in who's who of politics, of business, will reap all the benefits. But Christianity is different. People who had nothing like that. Look at this Samaritan woman. She did not seek God spiritually. She was not praying at the time. She was not fasting. She was not disciplining herself for godliness. All she did was the thing that she did every day, and that is drawing water from the well. There was nothing extraordinary. There was nothing religious about it. Just another Tuesday for her. But she met Jesus, and Jesus was talking to her. Listen to what Jesus said to her. If you knew the gift of God. See, friends, uh, his living water, his salvation of free grace. That's why Jesus is calling it the gift of God. It's a gift. It's not a wage. Christian salvation is a gift that one receives, not a wage that one has to earn. 
You know, what, what is the difference between a gift and a wage? Those of you who are working, obviously you get a fortnightly salary perhaps, or a weekly salary or even daily salary. What, what is the difference between a gift and a salary? Well, what, what uh, qualifies you for receiving a wage? If you do the work, obviously, if you do, do the work properly, if you fulfill the quota, if you meet the expectations of your boss, then you get your wage. If you're not doing any work, then that would disqualify you from receiving a wage. But what would disqualify you for not getting a gift? It's pride. It's arrogance. Because it is a free gift, it is not earned, it's not merited, and therefore all you have to have is the humility to receive it. And friends, this is what you need to know in this first point as a, a matter of application. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how unworthy you feel this morning, you can come to Jesus, the living water, and be surprised once again by the free grace of God because this is something that we do not deserve and yet we can receive from him. So the first one, this woman was surprised by grace and second point, she was satisfied in grace. Verse 13 and 15. So the grace of God that Jesus offered is not merely a surprising grace, it is also the one that will give us an everlasting satisfaction that the world could never give. If you look at with me verse 13, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. So what Jesus was saying, he used this living water as a metaphor for salvation in verses 13 and 14. Do you know human body is made up of perhaps 60% uh, water? That's why water is such a vital need for each one of us. So if you like uh, trekking or you know, hiking, the wilderness guide often refer to the rule of three. Have you heard of the rule of three? The rule of three says that a person can live for, for three weeks without food, but only three days without water and three minutes without oxygen. So three weeks without food, three days without water, three minutes without oxygen. So if you deprive your body of water for a few days, you will have a severe dehydration, you will die. So Jesus is saying, just as water is essential for your survival of our physical body, salvation is essential for your soul. And unless Jesus gives what your soul desperately needs, you will die. See, the thirst that we have is a picture of the spiritual need that we have, spiritual longing. We all born thirsty, we desire for something, we long for something, we crave, we reach, but only what Jesus gives can satisfy the deepest level of our soul. 
Yet it's, it's common for us to try to satisfy our inner thirst through many things outside Jesus. We may not recognize it until Jesus points that out. You see, the Samaritan woman also did not get it, that she had this thirst, and she's been looking in all the wrong places. The woman said to him, verse 15, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have come here to draw water. So if you notice this response of the Samaritan woman was logical, but not spiritual. She was just being pragmatic. So I did not have to do the work of coming to the well every single day now that I have this living water and I will never have to be thirsty again. So she essentially said, Jesus, if you want to make my life easier, if you want to make my life much more convenient, then I'm all for it. Give that to me. I would like to have that water. And a lot of us have that similar attitude to Jesus. If Jesus is quite helpful to me, then I'm all for him. But once he places a lot of demands on my life, then I might say, hang on, don't touch my hobbies, don't touch my stuff that I do not want to let go because this is all mine. This woman said, if what you give makes my life easier and convenient, then I'm all for it. But Jesus did not... Uh, leave her where she was. She, he, uh, Jesus then said, go call your husband and come here. In the next uh, slide, you can see that conversation. And she said, I had no husband. And Jesus said, you are right in saying I have no husband. You have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. Now, on the service, this is a weird conversation. It sounds like it's completely <laughs> irrelevant. And I have mentioned numerous times through this series of the, uh, the Gospel of John that you'll always find Jesus' answers were cryptic. It's they, they're almost like completely irrelevant. And all, all of a sudden, Jesus said, go call your husband and then come back to me. But Jesus, Jesus does not just talk in the abstract. He wants to make it so practical and so personal and he is saying that this living water is what you've been trying to find in man. He's talking about her sex life. He's talking about her codependency problem. He's basically saying to the Samaritan woman, you don't think you are spiritually thirsty, but hey, you have a deep thirst for God and you just don't recognize it. What you are looking for in man that's your spiritual thirst. Because you have quenched that spiritual thirst with something transient, you will be thirsty again. Friends, imagine if you just finish an eight-kilometer morning run, which I sometimes do, and you are parched, and it's a hot day in summer, and you long for that glass of cold, fresh water in the fridge. But imagine instead of drinking that cold water, you instead gulping a bottle of white wine, the only bottle that you can find in the fridge. 
I mean, it's all liquid, right? It's, it's just the same thing. But your body will react differently. Drinking white wine in the middle of a hot summer day when you are completely dehydrated will make you even more thirsty. That's, that's what is happening with this Samaritan woman. See, all other places to quench your thirst in this world will make you even more thirsty, will disappoint you. When you go after sex, or romance, or money, or power, or religious morality, it's really the thirst that you do not recognize. Dave Ramsey once wrote, we buy things we do not need with the money that we do not have to impress people that we do not like. Now, show of hands if you uh, can be counted among those people. Buying things that we do not need with the money that we do not have to impress people that we do not like. Why? Because we thirst for their approval with the things that we wear from top to bottom. You know, the devil wears, wears Prada, as they say. We want to wow people with the restaurants that we dine in, with the places that we go, with the houses that we live in. This is a thirst for people, praise, and adulation. You see, on the outside, it seems like there are two types of people. And on the outside, they may look different, but on the inside is the same thirst that they have. So on the outside, you, would, you might see people who live promiscuous lives, sleeping around with different partners, different men or different women, abusing alcohol, lying and scheming as their lifestyles. And then there are people who keep their nose clean, burning midnight oil every day to attain the next level of success. They are working hard. They might go to church, they tithe and they pray. You see, they, they look different on the service. But inside, there's the same thirst underneath their thirst. The first one wants freedom and pleasure and sex by doing whatever they like. You do you. But the second one wants success, status, and honors by working hard, by obeying religious commandments. But they all, they both have a thirst underneath everything else. And Jesus is saying to both people, I can quench your thirst. See, the prophet Jeremiah once warned God's people of the dire consequences that they will suffer because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. And instead, they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So friends, when we are trying to find something that we think will quench our thirst, we are just digging these broken cisterns that cannot hold any water. What are your broken earthly cisterns that you're going instead of the spring of eternal life? If you go to any other source apart from Jesus, your thirst will get worse. And if you're disappointed with all those things, you know, typically we will blame other people and other things in our lives. It's the wrong handbag. That's why people don't appreciate me enough. 
It's the wrong suburb that we live in. It's the wrong country. Why, why are we in Australia, perhaps? Why are we in Indonesia or other countries for that matter? Or perhaps the wrong husband or the wrong wife. You see, this pattern being constantly shown in tabloids by famous people who live such discontented lives, they change partners as fast as they change their looks and appearances. And we sort of laugh at them because we're not as successful as they are. But maybe when we are as successful as they are, we're going to do the same thing, right? Changing our looks, changing our partners, changing our houses, changing everything in our lives, hoping that our thirst will be quenched. Or perhaps we do not blame other people, but we blame ourselves. We said, I've made bad choices. I've been such a fool. I should have married another person. I should have not gotten into this career. I never should have trusted that person. We, we keep blaming ourselves when we are disappointed and we become bitter, cynical, suspicious, neurotic because of, of all that. But what if, what if the problem is not other people, it's not the things in your life, it's not yourself, but the problem is because you try to quench your thirst in all the wrong places. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity wrote this oft-quoted sentence, if I find in myself, and you can see it on the next slide, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. That all these things that we enjoy in this world are transient, and that's why nothing can fill that God-shaped hole in our hearts. And we keep searching and searching for the next better things in our lives to no avail until we meet like this woman, Jesus Christ. So when Jesus said to this woman, go call your husband and come back, maybe to us today, to each one of you, to me, Jesus might say, go get your career and come back. Go get your wealth and come back to me. Go get your reputations and come back to me. Go get your sense of control and come back to me. And not only that, you see, Jesus is going a little further with this metaphor of water. He did not only give this Samaritan woman this living water, but he said, if I give you this living water, I will also put a spring of water inside you welling up to eternal life. So more than just simply satisfying the thirst of the one who drinks it, it is life-giving in the heart of the one who drinks it. I've got a picture uh, uh, in the next slide. I don't know if you have seen one of these drinking helmets. It's quite handy, isn't it? Um, get one if you want, uh, and you can fill it with uh, 
your favorite liquid, right? It's handy to have if you are, for example, currently in Europe traveling under the sweltering heat. But what Jesus offered was far more significant. The spring of water is not on your head that will run out. It is inside your heart and it will never run out. You will be radically transformed that you will have this portable dispenser of joy. See, this portable dispenser of joy is going to be with us wherever we go and whatever season of life we go through. And we know that as followers of Jesus, we will still have to deal with the pains and problems and diseases in this world and in our lives. But know this, in Jesus you will have an endless supply of the joy of the Lord which will always be your strength to go through life. So if you've been a Christian for many years, you might think, well, I drank of what Jesus offers, but often I feel thirsty and I feel empty again. And the answer is simple. Keep drinking from that well of living water that Jesus promised. It is not a one-time sip. It's a continual sip of that living water. And it will satisfy you again and again as you read his word, as you meditate on his word, and talk to him in prayers. There's this continual communion and connection to him that will give you that everlasting joy, no matter what your life circumstances are. So how do you receive this grace? And the last and final point will be much shorter. How do you receive this grace, this, this, this living water? See, it won't happen until Jesus went to the cross for the Samaritan women. But for us who live on the other side of the cross, we knew that that could happen for us this very moment. Because when Jesus was on that cross, he cried out, I thirst, I thirst. It wasn't just a physical deprivation. He was experiencing utter spiritual deprivation. He was cast away from his father's face. He was losing the source of all joy and love in the universe and he was experiencing hell. He was burning up spiritually. He was dying of thirst. And why did he go through it? So that he could say to this woman, so that he could say to all of you today, I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you have done in your previous life, in your current life. I don't care if you have had five husbands. I don't care if you have done all these terrible things that no one knows except you. I experienced the ultimate thirst you deserve so that you can have this living water. And in your heart, there'll be a spring of waters that will satisfy you forever. Friends, Jesus knows what you have done. Jesus Christ knows the worst about you and nevertheless, he's the one who loves you the most. That's what A.W. Tozer wrote. Let me repeat that again. Jesus Christ knows the worst about 
each one of us in this room. He knows the words about me that you do not know. He knows the words about each one of us, and yet he's the one who loves you the most, more than anyone in this world. You see, John 4 is the longest recorded conversation that anyone had with Jesus in the entire New Testament, perhaps in the entire Bible. And that's quite something, isn't it? The longest recorded conversation Jesus had with anyone. And what was the conversation about? It was about sovereign grace. Jesus found her. She did not find him. It was Jesus who knew he had to see this woman. It was a divine appointment. She was thirsty and she did not know it. But Jesus knew. The woman did not come to the well seeking Jesus. It was Jesus who came to the well seeking her. And the same is true for all of us this morning. You will never come to Christ until Christ first comes to you. And what happens in this chapter, it looks like a chance encounter, but it was nothing of sort. The time and the place and all the circumstances had all been arranged by God before the world began. So Jesus went out of his way to find one single person. A woman, a Samaritan, a woman of reputable uh, ill refute, only to save her, and maybe today that person is you. And like the Samaritan woman, you also come today bearing an empty water pot, a telling symbol of a parched and barren heart. But Jesus knew that, and he wanted you to come to him, the living water. Friends, would you respond to him, either for the first time, or for the nth time, so that you can experience that sovereign grace that brings everlasting joy. Let us pray.